So technically, we are even past Epiphany based on the church calendar. I have no clue what that is. It doesn't matter, but it's... <laughs> yeah. So it's 12 days after Christmas. You celebrate the wise men coming to see baby Jesus. Oh. Usually, you do a big bonfire with Christmas trees. You take all of your old Christmas trees and take all the decorations off and then just throw them all together. Big bonfire. We actually burned our Christmas tree last week in the wood stove. It burned really yeah. well. It was great. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Beer and Bible, and this is the super late Christmas special with us. We couldn't leave you guys hanging. We always have a good old debaucherous fun time for Christmas, which has kind of become our tradition. So even though we're late, we had to give it to y'all. Yeah, give us also a little bit of a break from our normal, well, Matthew <laughs> that we've been in for forever. Our normally scheduled programming. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Neil, Encyclopedia Biblitanica, and I do the lead questioning. I'm the architect of the whole thing, and uh, this boss. is the Christmas. <laughs> and this is the Christmas episode that I've been doing the research on. And this is Chris, the official Bible reader, the guy that pretty much just distracts Neil all the time and, and asks the dumb questions that we're all thinking. And uh, Bible reader, that's pretty much all I do. I'm supposed to keep you focused, but you're supposed to keep me like in the realm of how to teach chaos if that makes sense it's a yin and yang and i'm not sure which is which for for our super late christmas episode what are you drinking creature habit i've got my voodoo ranger juicy haze ipas that's it on uh one of our mountain bike rides same shit different year zero resolutions and i'm just gonna keep this train rolling and maybe see if i can get myself killed this year just like i did last year i didn't get killed last year but i'm still just pushing it probably harder than i should when you're not able to do your resolution from last year, you move it to the next year. I understand. <laughs> so tonight, you've probably already seen the title, obviously, if you clicked on us, and we are talking about King Herod this evening, and we want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to flash all the way back into the Old Testament and go back from after when Charlton Heston or Val Kilmer or whoever your Moses is. <laughs> your white Moses. Yeah, whoever your white Moses is. Uh, they brought everybody into Israel, and then they had a couple hundred years of what was called the Judges, where you would have a leader that would pop up for a while, but the head honcho, the one stability main leader, wasn't the priesthood, but it was God himself. And that went for a while. They had one place of worship. They had one God that they worshiped. They got rid of all—they were supposed to get all, rid of all the other gods, and that that is a whole mess. And you can hear more about that in our Samson episodes, if you go back to the beginning. But— then there came a point, and I'm going to ha- hand this over to Chris because he's shared his experience or his thoughts on this in the past, <laughs> where all of the people of Israel just wanted a king really badly because the Israelites got tired of having these functional leaders and wanted an actual figurehead and like combined figurehead and functional leader all at once, but they never really had that, and so they wanted they wanted a king. They wanted to be cool like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So what's your explain that to everybody? Fuck it, let's read it. This is in Samuel, which is the Old Testament. Samuel is a the prophet guy that ran around. He was one of the, he was a big deal, wasn't he? Yeah, technically he is the last judge. Oh, of okay, cool, cool. But he's also a prophet, right? Yes. Okay, okay, cool. So it's like double duty. All right, so this is Samuel. <clears throat> he's talking to uh I don't know, let's just read. Let's let's do this together. Let's do it together. But when they said, "Give us a king to lead us," This displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day. 
forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. That's funny because it sounds like me getting pissed that my kids aren't listening. And I'm like, fine, motherfuckers. I mean, I don't say that to my kids. But I'm like, fine, motherfuckers. Like, let's do it. You want to try it your way? Let's see how it happens. Like, let me. You're you're going to be the kids that have to learn the fucking hard way. So let's. Yeah, I feel like that was in the original Hebrew. <laughs> it probably, you just lose it in the English translation. It probably was. They just couldn't figure out what's the, what this fucking word is. Like. With no vowels in it. It's an adjective, it's a noun, it's a verb, whatever you need it to be. It's like they had autocorrect. It's not ducking. I'm not <laughs> saying. <laughs> All right, so Samuel's talking to Israel, apparently. What, is he just standing in front of the masses, like, just yell, yeah. yelling at him? I mean, he's like, God, what do I do? Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands of, and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to, your, to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men, men servants and maid servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. Wow, this is starting to sound like a really good deal. Basically, he's going to take all your cool shit, and it's going to be his. So, you sure you want this? They're going from a theocracy where they have these leaders that only show up to protect them. There's a leader that will show up and be like, hey, you're being attacked in these towns, so I'm going to gather all fighting age men. Yeah. We're going to go grab some weapons, and God is going to help us win a battle because God's with us yeah. in this moment. And we win... And then we just everyone goes back to their own lives, and they don't have a king. They don't have to rule anyone ruling. No, because they just keep... but no, we want a king. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, okay, fine, you'll get a king, so you can be like all the other nations. And it, it sort of makes sense because the other nations they have a king that is a standing representative of the country, like a figurehead, can... like a tangible yeah. physical person right there that says like that he he's basically their god in, in the flesh. Yeah. That's a really great way of putting it. Yeah, he's their god in the, in the flesh. The king would also be the one who would lead or create military power because right now they're being attacked and they're like, oh shoot, who do we tell? Uh, I don't know. Like we just sort of have the, the priesthood, but they're not really <laughs> the political. Help. Priests, any, who's, help. I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Samuel's letting them know, you want a king? Here's like what other kings do. And what he's listing is probably all stuff that they already know. Yeah. He's just like, I imagine the leaders are just going, yeah. Yes, Samuel, we know that. We know uh, that. Well, I like how he wraps it up real good here. Where did it go? Uh, blah, blah, blah. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. Uh-huh. With a king to lead us to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, <laughs> he turns around, you heard that bullshit, right? God's like, <laughs> <laughs> the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. He said, yeah, fuck it. Like, hey, I, you know, we tried to tell him. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. And that is, it's so funny. This sounds like a fucking, I don't know. I don't have teenagers yet, thankfully. I was one. I was a fucking shithead i can promise you that i mean not really but i was lightly manipulative and you know may have lied to my parents once or twice but that's what it sounds like it sounds like 
well, why can't I be like everybody else? It's like, cause you, you've got it really good. You don't have to like, you don't have to be doing what everybody else is doing. Like you just said, you know, they're like, well, we know what we're, you're going to, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to suck. Well, we already know all these things. We don't care. We want what we want. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Let them learn the fucking hard. And they turned around to God and God's like, no, let them learn. They'll, they'll learn. They got to learn the fucking hard way. It's from there. So then there they, they elect a guy named Saul. So he becomes the first king. And the thing that, that confuses me as an adult, which is weird to say, like, confuse me as an adult Christian compared to, like, not that I wasn't an adult, a functionally mature individual when I started really following this Christianity thing. But I remember, you know, you go into church and I don't know about this book. Like, you guys, I wish I had this podcast when I was younger. And I didn't really know how to approach this thing. And I didn't know, you know, to approach it critically, but rather hearing how people explained it to me. And one of the things that people said is, all right, we're going to introduce some characters. And you have to know Saul is bad. Therefore, David is good because David is, quote unquote, a man after God's own heart. And then we're going to read about Solomon. And I'm like, well, what about Solomon? If you got you got three, but you're, you're comparing contrasting two. And they're like, we won't get to Solomon. Focus on this. Saul bad, David good. And as someone that starts reading these stories, and I encourage you, a really cool thing, if, if you can get an audio Bible and you can just binge listen to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, it is like Game of Thrones style, people manipulating. You, you see characters that will show up in season, I always think of them as a TV show, so you'll see a character that will show up in season one and then reappear in season three. And you're like, oh, that was the guy that did such and such. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And it's like that's that really happens. And you get these characters that hate each other and despise each other. And like, well, I think we know what we're doing after Matthew. So anyway, Saul is a bad king. I will give him that. Yes, that is true. David is also kind of bad. Kind of. Yeah, he's really bad, too. And if you're like, what? who are these guys? Again, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, listen to those straight through. You'll get a kick out of it. And then Solomon, everything bad that Samuel just laid out, a little bit happens in Saul, more of it happens with David, and then all of it, <laughs> everything that he lists happens by the time Solomon comes I was going to say, power. Saul just kind of got really shitty at the end. Like, he was trying to do good, but I feel like he was just kind of dumb. And then, yeah. like, got a little crazy at the end and power hungry. And then you just have a list of just bad kings. It's kind of funny. It's like, it's like the... Uh, pinnacle of Jewish or Israeli political power, economic power happens during Solomon, but everyone's asking for the son of David. So whether that means they want a king like David or they want a king like Solomon, I mean, it kind of works either way, but this is what the Israel Israel people want. They are so short-sighted, the best that they can imagine, and this, this hope and this prayer for this Messiah is to have a king like the one that Samuel just described. <laughs> And that's what they want. So let's flash forward a couple hundred years, and we get up to Herod. And Herod is the king. We called him the old worm king. You've probably listened yeah. to us talk about him and Matthew. Yeah. And he's a real piece of work, if you will. Yeah, and I didn't know much about him. I'll be honest. I didn't know much about him. So I, I got a couple books because I'm a nerd. We just, I just want to make sure that we get through some really cool things of understanding who is this Herod. Uh, if you've ever seen Avengers Infinity War, the writer said, essentially, Infinity War was how we introduced and explained the villain. So when I'm coming to Herod, that's sort of what I want to do tonight is talk about this idea of who is Herod, this king, and cover his backstory. When I did the study, I started to find things that go, oh my goodness, this makes sense why this character Herod stands out and why he would act the way he does, mm. besides the worms and the craziness. Mm. Oh, maybe All even right. that'll be explained. 
At least the worms. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, man, the worms gets even funnier. <laughs> All right. So there is actually debate whether or not Herod was a uh, was a Jewish convert or a political one. We've talked about in the past that his family actually comes from Edomia, which is or Edom, which so if you take Israel and it would be the southwest or yeah, southwest offshoot of that. And it was when the Maccabeans ruled, they actually went out and attacked Edomia. They attacked the land of Edom where Esau and his family would have been. They attacked them and Herod's family ended up converting. So I think it's also oh, that he wasn't raised or he wasn't born Jewish or like born into the faith or anything. Yeah. He was not born as a genetic Jewish person. As far as when his family converted, I don't know if he was born yet or not. Hmm. Okay. His father is actually the one who starts the dynasty, not as a king. The Maccabeans had two sons that started fighting each other, and his father ends up suggesting to Heracinus, this the, this priest, he's like, hey, uh, Heracinus, you, Heracinus, you and your brother are going to go over to Pompey, and you guys are going to ask for help. He says, Heracinus, go really humble. Act as if you are a low person and that you are submitting yourself to Rome. His brother goes to Rome, goes to Pompey, and says, and acts like he's a king, like he's already won the throne. <laughs> yeah, you can see how this goes down with Rome. Pompey is like, fine, I'm going to side with Heracinus and just smashes the whole, whole thing and like sides with him. So then they make Heracinus the... <laughs> Wait, Heracinus uh, is the one that went humbly, right? Yes. Yeah. So he, he's like, fuck this other king guy. I'm the king. <laughs> like, Bingo, bingo. So they give Antipater, which is Herod's father, sort of this like... He, so Antipater, they come to him and like, okay, well, we like you. You have good ideas. You told Heracinus to chill. So Heracinus ends up being... Not the king, but stays as the priest. So Heracinus is the high priest. Antipater is like is hanging out, and he's like, "Hey, uh, how about you become like the magistrate? Like you're in charge of Judea now." Hmm. Interesting. All right. So, what title do you want? And Antipater, Herod's father, says, "Don't call me king." And he says to Caesar, "What do you want to call me?" And they call him like proconsul. I think. Yeah. He's not officially the king of Judea, which is smart. He's not the king of the Jews. Yeah. He's from Edom. So he doesn't claim that title. Ah. And he, and yeah. So they, the Jewish people want Heracinus. They want the Maccabees to be rulers or whatever, but they're like, no, no. He ends up starting this dynasty. Herod is born in 72 BCE. So uh, I don't know if anyone can relate to having leaders that are all in their 70s, <laughs> but that's by the time Jesus is born, <laughs> we got a leader in his 70s. A little crazy and or a little senile. I'll let you draw parallels if you want. Then in 63 is when you end up having the Maccabean Civil War. So remember how I earlier explained like, how Antipater suggested Heracinus go humbly? That all happens right there around 63. So he's only like nine years old when all this is going on. Hmm. So he, he, like, he, his dad wasn't actually in charge yet. But it was during this that that happens. In his teens and everything else, he ends up being considered an amazing athlete. He was a very tall, handsome guy with jet black hair, and he was a good hunter. They also said that he participated in the wrestling, which was naked. Oh, which is also yeah, which is not very Jewish. You can't be naked when you're wrestling and you're Jewish. Judaism at that time was pretty strict against any sort of nudity. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, that's why they did not go to see any of the theater or the games. That was part of the reason why. Yeah. Herod Herod was was down for it apparently. Yeah, hey, I, I mean, I probably would be too. I, I, yeah, I'd be down for it. I'd watch. I'm just just watching. <laughs> probably to it. Yeah, 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 I'd check it out. What's up? <laughs> so he was a good wrestler. He was a good hunter, and he was considered just an overall great athlete. And all these things. He was a little bit of a man's man. In my head, I imagine him like as the like football jock kind of guy. Like he's got his family and his dad's rich and everything else. And then he's also the running back or whatever else he, you know, he plays yeah. or something. Uh, any so, football, whatever the football position is, that's that I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so then around age 26, he ends up, his dad ends up telling him, you're going to rule over Galilee. So I'm like, I'm the head ruler. You are now essentially like this prince ruler. Like, again, they're not kings. So imagine just the, him saying, okay, I want you to be in charge of Galilee. So he's 26 years old and already has that going on for Dang. him. Then up in Galilee on the side near Syria, right along the edge of Galilee. So if you can think about your map of Israel in your head, way north of where they were originally from, that little side, this guy named Hezekiah starts getting other towns and other, to help him out. And they start raiding villages and towns and, like, and trying to push this Jewish this Jewish fight against the Roman occupation. Mm. Little rebellions yeah. growing, a little rebel group. Yeah, growing so, up against the empire. Exactly. So when I think about Herod sitting there, and Christmas comes, and little baby Jesus is born, and somebody says, "People from the east, just like I said, that there you have like the northeastern, not northwestern, but the northeastern section. People come over from the northeast and come in and start attacking. Now you've got these wise men coming from the east, coming in and telling him there's a new king in town. Like I wonder if this idea of fighting against rebellion isn't something new to Herod. He's mm. already had to deal with, and I think the word for, for their lestes in Greek, this is all off the top of my head. It's not in my notes right now, so just bear with me. Lestes, I think that's the same term that is used for an insurrectionist. Oh. So Hezekiah is an insurrectionist, and that's the same sort of crime that they end up crucifying Jesus for. At this point, it's not that they're being paranoid it's that they actually have some reason to be or they are paranoid but they have reason to be like they're not just crazy for the sake of crazy or they lost their shit it's like there's actually kind of a storm brewing and so they're very much on like caution or on like high alert are you talking about the time when he is ruling over galilee or when he is actually officially king during the time of jesus Galilee. That's when all this stuff is starting to move and then or come up. Yeah. That's when like this, the, the, the like the, things are starting to get a little like you know unruly. I think we're talking about seventeen years after the Maccabean civil war. Yeah, he, they are trying to maintain their lands. You have the Nabataeans, which are off to the side. Which his mother was a Nabataean. She's off to the east as well. We'll come into that later on. A large empire or large kingdom to the east. I don't know if those Nabataeans or not that were helping Hezekiah, but you have Hezekiah fighting against people. You are now on the outskirts, and you are now part of Rome, but you do have to deal with other people coming in fighting. So Rome's not, got not your back, but you're still kind of like a satellite where it's like you, there's still issues coming at you from the region. Exactly. So I, what I'm thinking is, here's a guy who's Hezekiah. He, he wants to fight and create an independent Israel all over again. So when you have Jesus being born, I wonder if there's a flashback from 50 years earlier when he's sitting there going, I had to fight somebody else that wanted to take over Israel. Yeah. He ends up beating Hezekiah. A lot of people think that it came down to his hunting tactics, that he changed how he was fighting. It was a matter of how he was using his cavalry, not in the sides, but he was going into the group and he was fighting them and scattering them and then using his foot soldiers to attack the scattered soldiers. Hmm. He ends up catching Hezekiah and ends up executing Hezekiah with no trial. It becomes a problem because this pisses off the Sanhedrin. So we've talked about the Sanhedrin earlier. They are the 70 elders of Israel or 70 people of status in, in Israel that sort of act as the go-between between the folk people, you know, the, the people that are of the land and the ruling bodies, whether that be Rome or Herod. Sanhedrin has, has been set up fairly recently by Rome. They have this this ruler, the proconsul's son, ends up killing off this guy, Hezekiah, and they go... He doesn't have that right. 
he is not allowed to do to be judge, jury, and executioner over somebody that needs to be brought to us. Mm. Rome ends up deciding to support Herod in the matter when they're trying to figure out what to do. They end up going, not siding with the Sanhedrin. The Jews just dropped it. He gets upset. Actually, the way apparently he went to the Sanhedrin to talk to them about it, and he also dressed up in uh, as a warrior, royal. I think no, he wore purple. That's what he did. He wore purple to the Sanhedrin. Talk about a communicating. I, I was going to say, what would that be? What would that like? Royalty, I guess. Or royalty. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So it's like I'm your king, bitch. Like, don't you? Even though his dad's still in charge, <laughs> he wears this. Rome ends up deciding to side with Herod, probably because they're like, "Look, we can't side with the Sanhedrin because now we're going to, you know, lose our grasp on it." And we kind of like Her- we like Antipater, we just don't like his son. <laughs> he ends up going to his buddy, a Roman guy that was who supported him, I think, up in Syria. So he goes up to visit his buddy, and he's like, "Let's go ahead and take over the Jewish people." And the guy was like. Chill, dog. Chill. Like, <laughs> damn. I think it was a guy who was older than him, kind of like an uncle, like an uncle-like figure. And the guy's like, "I like you a lot, but at age twenty-seven, you need to take a deep breath, chill out, and not start a war." He ends up getting married to a woman named Doris. He ends up having a son with her. This is his first uh, son. He ends up divorcing her uh, later. So he's he's about 30 years old when he has his first son. So this is looking really good. He is the son of Antipater. He already has uh, another son. So we're looking at a clear line of succession here. But he ends up meeting a woman named... A uh, woman. <laughs> I should not use that. <laughs> he ends up meeting a girl named Mariamne. Oh, oh. let's see what she did there. So, yeah, it's Heracinus's granddaughter. Ugh. He is right around 30, 32, somewhere around there, meets a 13 or 14-year-old, knowing that she's going to be marriageable at 16. She ends up being really worth waiting for because she's the granddaughter of the Hasmonean king. Ah, so it was a power move. It was a political move. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He wasn't just trying to be a creep. He was trying to be a creep with power. Yes, exactly. Right, right. They end up growing into a very strong relationship, and we're going to talk more about that relationship of them as adults. Not, I was going to say, funny that how that happens with a, you know, a, a ruling older man and a young girl with nothing. Yeah, when, <laughs> weird. It's just weird when it works like that. Actually, she did have a lot because again, she had the political power because she's the granddaughter of Heracinus. Remember, it was Antipater who suggested to Heracinus, "Hey, man, how about you go humbly before Rome." Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, okay. Okay, so this would mean that if he marries her, remember, he's an Edomite. He's an Edomian at the time. So the concern is that he is not as legitimately Jewish. So if he ends up marrying who a lot of the Jewish think people think is the legitimate king, he, if he ends up marrying his granddaughter, you see, it's like very Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Again. Yeah, that's... So he's trying to legitimize everything. Then he ends up having status with Rome, thanks to Mark Antony and his friendship there, and he has status with the Jews, thanks to Mary Omni. It's a very good political move for him to sit right in the middle between Rome and the Jewish people. Still, he's not king yet. We still don't have a king. Now, what happened was Julius Caesar, yes, that Julius Caesar, is the one who gave Antipater the citizenship to be Roman. So Antipater is Roman, therefore Herod is Roman. So let's start with that. Then his father Antipater was assassinated, which now gives him the new, new place. While Mark Antony... Mark Antony was in Egypt visiting Cleopatra, that Cleopatra, that Mark Antony. Oh, yes. sexy. Yeah. They were invaded by Parthenon. So this is our Parthian, Parthian, not Parthenon. That's a building. Parthian in, ends up invading them and they end up installing their own king. So Herod flees. He's like, oh, crap, I'm screwed. He doesn't have the power. He ends up leaving. And then he ends up rallying some other uh, rulers. He ends up going to Alexandria, which Mark Antony by this point has already left. So. 
Then he gets on a boat and leaves to go to Rome on a boat in the winter, which is you do not cross the sea in winter. That's a bad move. Everybody knows that. Come on, asshole. There's two things you don't do. You never cross the sea in the winter. You never get into a battle of wits with a Sicilian. (laughs) This ballsy move of doing the stupid move of going across the Mediterranean in winter impresses Rome. They're like, what? That is wild. So he shows up and he meets Mark Antony, who's his friend, and then Octavian he's never met before. This went so well that they end up making him king in 40 BCE. So it worked out. That was so, his Hail Mary. Yes. He's just like, yeah, that's fine. I got nothing left. Let's just let's go for it. Yeah. So the Jews end up liking the Parthian king. But then so Herod, you, first you visualize and then you execute. You you know, you just you just visualize it. You just No, what you do, you just pray for it. Just pray, you know, and then, you know, your prayer will become, you know, it will manifest. I love the idea of like, Herod, you know the one that tried killing Jesus? Yeah. Well, he was a man of prayer. He just, <laughs> like, he's a man of faith. He believed that was going to happen in his heart, in his heart of hearts. <laughs> his he heart of hearts. I don't even know if that's a thing, but it just sounds like Christian jargon to me. Like, <laughs> I just feel like we could all learn a lot from Herod about how to be faithful followers of Jesus. <laughs> God wanted this for me, and I achieved it. And the way he did this? God's up there, he's like, shit! I did not want that for you. You son of a bitch. He did this all with the power of Rome. Or he's just sitting up there, and he's like, I told those motherfuckers. Samuel told those motherfuckers. So, you know. You want a king like all the other nations? Uh, Yeah, let's let let this shit play out. (laughs) He's like, no, y'all chill. The angels are getting all riled up. They're like, but God, look. Look what's happening. Just chill out. We gotta let this play out. You know, they... They're grown. They're grown now. They're a grown nation. They know they can handle this. You want a king like all the other nations? Why don't you just have the king of all the other nations? <laughs> here you go. Here's a non-Jewish king. Yeah, you want to act grown? Well, here you go. So they have a Parthian king for a very short amount of time, just a couple of years. So then Herod, he ends up returning with the Roman military. Ooh. Remember earlier it was all through like, hey, we backed you up with Pompey, and now you got Hyrcanus was going to be the Jewish high priest, and then we're going to have... Uh, Antipater as sort of the the prefect, the, the the proconsul, just kind of overseeing it. That's great. And then when Herod's like, hey, I just lost the kingdom. You guys, like Rome, you have lost a Parthion. What should we do? And Rome's like, yeah, we want that piece of real estate back. And we're just going to give you all the military force that you need. So he just rolls in there with the Roman military backing. He ends up getting it back in 37 BCE. So just three years later, he ends up getting it. Ooh. So when he comes into power, this time is when he's king. So he doesn't start out as king, but he becomes king through the Roman military help. 36 BCE, the Jewish people like the Parthian king. So now he is trying to get on the good side of everybody in the Jewish world. And he is married to Mariamne. And then he proposes Aristobulus III, his brother-in-law, who's 17 years old, to become the new priest. So Heracinus was the priest. Now Heracinus's grandson will be the priest. So everyone's like, you know, this is pretty cool. So he puts all the things in place to keep people from asking. They're getting too riled up. They're like, like, huh, what's he? Uh-huh. Okay. 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 It's like just enough. He's doing just enough like lip service. You're putting just enough in place where people are like, kind of like this is fucked but they're also kind of like okay you know it's not it's still we're still familiar with this we still know like we know these people or like we know you know yeah it's like just it's very calculated it seems like where he's like i you know i'm gonna put my pawns in here but we're gonna make sure it's like not too red flaggy where people are like 
freaking out. We don't need an uprising or anything while I wiggle my way into power. Exactly. He's way more calculated than I expected. And earlier I was like had this idea of him being the the jock, like the college high school jock that yeah. had really rich parents. Just force your way through everything or just expect things to work out. Like Yeah. But then he, he's making deals and changing things. Like we said earlier, he just makes this crazy, risky, life-threatening journey during winter to get to Rome and uses that as, like, I just did this crazy thing. I don't, it's like somebody who wants to be a leader just going into battle kind of stuff, just doing something stupidly dangerous. And people are like, oh, this guy is serious. He's, he's just manifesting. He's just putting it out in the universe. Putting it out, a man of faith. I, I would just call it shit luck, which, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with faith. And there's two kinds of shit luck. There's shitty luck, and there's a shit luck where you're just like, it comes out of nowhere. It's just like, it's some crazy shit, and it's just, it works out for you. And the English language is very nuanced like that. Oh, yeah. All right, so Aristobulus III, his brother-in-law, his wife's brother, is now the new priest. That's good. But then later his on... from brother. Yeah. Oh, okay, so his brother-in-law. Yeah, okay. Yeah, brother-in-law. He were like his wife's brother's like brother in law. You had literally just said brother in law. Damn, these two nineteen point five fluid ounce voodoo rangers are really hitting me. It's the spirit. <laughs> so later on, the, I'm gonna manifest that I won't feel like shit in the morning. The speculation is that he ends up getting jealous because people really liked Aristobulus. Again, this was their king, the, who they wanted to be king. It's his grandson, and meanwhile they've got this guy who's. You got to hand it to him. Herod has been working really hard to maintain the peace in Israel, fighting off a guy named Hezekiah, fighting off uh, the Parthians, doing all these things so that he can maintain this peaceful rule over Israel. And I say, I know people are like, well, wait, wait, you're saying something good, like peaceful in his mind. His perspective, right. <laughs> he's trying to do all the right stuff and help everybody. And then he makes the choice of like handing off power to his wife's brother. So he's doing all this, and then everyone starts really liking Aristobulus. You know, yeah, you're our, our high priest. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> now, now you know how God feels. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like how you did that. So he ends up having this pool party in Jericho with Aristobulus. And uh, there's, a, there's a story that they say that Mark Antony was there. And Mark Antony, uh, so they, they talk about how Mariamne what, had some very strong or striking features to her. She's like, she was very beautiful. Uh, but she had some very striking features, and then her brother also had very striking features as well. Some people have said that they were almost twins the way that they looked, and they said everything that made her pretty made him handsome. Ooh, that's very androgynous. Yeah, and then you have you have Mark Antony, and at that time, young teenage boys were sort of an ideal around the Roman. They were they world. were they were in that was that <laughs> they were the thing. <laughs> they were the thing. Uh, yes. And so you've got this nice little Jewish, handsome Jewish priest, and he's at this pool party, and they didn't have bathing attire back in the day, so that was all naked, just like the wrestling. Holler. Yeah, so he was in there, and they, they said that like, he waited till Mark Antony went away because he didn't want to get you know victimized. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. So he waited for- Mark wait. Antony is a little thirsty. He's, he's making his little world travel from Cleopatra up to the high priest- so Aristobulus waits, and then some of Herod's guard also gets in the pool and everything else, and they end up drowning and killing Aristobulus. Ah, oh, they had to wait till Mark Antony left. See, that would have been his get out of death free card. Yeah, yeah, actually, just, that would have been get, just catch a little diddle, and then you'd still be alive, dude. Yeah, and we already know that Herod loves Mark Antony. Man, way to go, Herod! Herod, deadulous, you fucking idiot. 
Aristotle goes, all I'm saying is just just go with it, okay? Just yeah. just relax. Just relax. Let it happen. <laughs> Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> anyone who's, oh, man, anyone's listening to this might have been like, you guys are, we're done here. <laughs> that was a Schwarzenegger reference. I just think of. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what we were going for. Come with me if you want to live. I can't even do it. Get to the chopper. Yeah. So Aristobulus made a decision to wait for Mark Antony, his one saving grace, to leave. <laughs> and he ends up getting drowned. That sends Herod to Rome for a murder charge. The person who they think that the what happened is Mariamna used her connections to alert the Roman authorities that this king just murdered off somebody else. Like, really important. Mm. So Cleopatra, who used to have that area of Jericho, is like, oh my goodness, yes. Herod is a bad guy. He is the devil. You should kill. You should punish him and kill him for it. This is what I've been waiting for. Exactly. So this plays into her. The problem is the person who's presiding over this is Mark Antony. So Mark Antony is best friends with Herod and also Cleopatra's lover. Which he was probably upset because he was trying to get him a piece from um, Homunculus or what, what was his name? Aristobulus. Aridedulus. Er, er, yeah. So he's probably a little upset. He's got a tear in one eye and like, a, yeah, yeah, and the other. Yeah, so, so he ends up... Uh, he's, got, he's got a tear in one eye and a harumph in the other. <laughs> yeah, so then Mark Antony decides against killing off Herod because he needs to keep... And that makes sense. Like, Herod's actually a pretty good political person of, of making sure that he's Mariamne and he has all these connections and he's, you know... Other than killing their high priest, he actually elected their high priest, which is... Yeah. He's got a pocket full of gotchas for, like, whatever he needs. Exactly. Gotcha. <laughs> Checkmate. What Mark Antony does is he drops the charges, but then he gives Jericho, which was previously an Egyptian city, to Cleopatra. Ooh. He got a pocket full of checks, too. Yeah, so I like how it's like, I'm not going to kill you. And, and he's also, like, appeasing Cleopatra. He's like, yeah, kill him, kill him. He's like, how about I just give you Jericho? She's like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and this D. <laughs> yes, he does that as well. This almost reminds me of, okay, like this is nothing, I I, I don't want to get, I, I can't not get political here because some of it's political stuff, but it, it just is what it is. But if you go back and you look at the old primaries for the 2020 election, uh, Joe Biden is accused by a bunch of women of uh, sexual misconduct and Kamala Harris comes out and is like, yes. That's absolutely, like, I stand with every single one of these women. I believe every single one of them. I'm with them all the way. That That is Joe Biden. And then he turns around. And he's like, how about you become vice president? Oh, oh, oh yeah. That's uh, true. That's I think true. it was Stephen Colbert is one had her on and asked her about, like, actually point blank. Just like, well, what happened to this? To which she just <laughs> said, hey, that was just politics. But you, you get what, like, what I'm saying is, like, Cleopatra's yeah. like, yeah, Herod did murder somebody. And then he's like, how about you get Jericho? Herod did not murder anybody. <laughs> yeah. Complete. Oh, God. And all they had to do was just not ask for a king. That's it. That's it. Samuel tried to tell him. God tried to tell him. At this point, they don't really have a king. They have, they have another nation's king, not a, a king like other nations. And in my mind, I keep thinking about how Israel wants a king like David. They want a king like Solomon. That's what they're going for. Going back to the Jericho thing, Cleopatra gets Jericho, which is a nice resort town in the ancient Near East. It's got citrus groves, date wine industry, and she ends up leasing it back to Herod. Hmm. And some ah. say some say it cost him half of the nation's revenue. Which, all right, so again, think of your Herod. Now, at first I'm thinking, oh, is it a matter of he's trying to lease it so that he can use the economic status of the date wine industry and the citrus groves and that kind of stuff? This resort town, is he trying to have that? Or, in my thinking is, if he is ruler over Israel and Israel loses Jericho, 
how does that make him look as a leader? Oh, well, yeah. He's trying to maintain the peace and make everyone happy. And now he's about he's going to lose Jericho. He can pay for it and get it back. So then what happens around 31 BCE? So again, 30 years before Jesus, we got him on, on the scene. Octavian, remember him? Like we, he traveled up to Rome and he meets Mark Antony, his buddy, and meets Octavian for the first time ever. Well, those two end up getting into a civil war and fighting each other. So the Roman Empire ends up getting divided here. Octavian and Mark Antony. Yes. Okay. So the problem is Herod wasn't there to support Mark Antony because he was fighting a border war against the Nabataeans that started a year prior. So he's busy with that. So Mark Antony gets into a fight with Octavian, and he can't come to Mark Antony's side. So mm. Mark loses. He actually is there with Cleopatra, and that's the whole thing where he, he uses a snake to kill himself. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Wikipedia, Google it. It's in the history book somewhere. So that's like real. I don't know if it's real or if it's just a story, but yeah, he he's supposedly dies in Cleopatra's arms and all that deal. Hmm. Anyways, the main thing is Mark Antony loses. And then Herod goes humbly up before Octavian and says, hey, no apology. I was absolutely a huge supporter of Mark Antony, and I would have been there and fought on his side if I had the chance. And I was completely loyal, but now I'm going to take that same amount of loyalty that I gave to Mark, and I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Um, He's like, what the fuck else am I going to do? I love that he doesn't even back off. He doesn't like say, hey, no, I totally would have fought on your side, but you know. Right, right. He's not a bitch about it. Yeah, he just owns it. And some people have actually said that uh, said like that that won him over. Other people say the problem was that Octavian, after fighting this, was bankrupt, and that when uh, Herod showed up, he carried seven hundred talents of silver, and each talent is thirty kilograms. Wow! So he had stupid amounts of money that he, he gave him. Then Octavian responds by giving him even more land to hmm. rule over. Hell yeah! So that's all right. That's what we're gonna stop there. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good move. That's a power play. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna stop there for right now. Uh, any any thoughts there? This has shed a lot of light on the old Worm King man. He he's he was very. Why the why the fuck? Also, does every like why is it like I think Game of Thrones ripped off the Bible. Like just bringing a couple of dragons in this thing, and yeah, you got it. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Like it, it's it's crazy. Well, I mean, uh, granted, I know like th- a lot of this stuff didn't make its way into the Bible, but just the fact that like the things that were going on were like, damn, humans are, you know, yeah. shit. We need shit like Christmas to keep us from just being barbarians all year round. I feel like we still could squeeze it in if we want to. You know? Just, oh yeah. You e- got to schedule easy. it. You got to. Yeah, easily. I mean, at this point, like, what could even happen in part two? We've got some, like, crazy shit going on already. Part two, we're going to talk a little bit more about what he actually did. So we're going to have a little bit of overlap and stuff. And this has been a lot of fun. And uh, we haven't even gotten to the necrophilia yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn it. I can't wait for part two then. All right, everybody. <laughs> you guys tune in uh, next uh, episode. How do you, how should we say it? Next week? Next episode? Next episode. <laughs> there we go. All right, everybody. See you. Love you guys. Thanks for listening.